Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. How'd the bird break into the house? He used a crowbar. For those of you that don't know, my name is Crow. My last name is Crow. And so I ask you a question. What kind of birds stick together? Velcros. Yeah. Yeah, it's murder when they're all together. And if you don't get all the groans there, do you know what a, a flock of crows is called? A murder. There you go. All right. So when was the last time you were mad? I don't mean ticked off like driving in traffic mad. I'm talking mad mad. I'm talking like I want to reach through the phone line or I want to reach across the TV or I want to reach across the table and just lay hands on you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> no, when was the last time you were mad mad? I mean mad mad. You were so mad that you wanted somebody to pay. That's what I'm talking about. So I heard a story recently about a, uh, a man who was sexually misbehaving with his stepdaughter. And I will tell you, if the guy had been there, it wouldn't, well, it wouldn't have been good. We'll just leave it that way. What you makes you so mad that you want people to pay? What makes you so mad that you want them to pay? Is it when someone lies about you and damages your reputation? Is it when someone steals your money? Anybody been there? That one makes me mad. I don't like it when people steal from me. <clears throat> or when a lover breaks your heart. Or how about when a massive corporation damages the earth and gets off scot-free, but then they raise your gas prices. Yeah, well, we could go on. Uh, is it the abuse of a child by an adult? Rape? Another mass shooting? What is it that makes you mad? So mad that you want vengeance. So I got a statement for you today. Great Christmas sermon. Here's our Christmas sermon. You want an angry God. You want an angry God. All of us want an angry God. And a God that will make people pay. Because something deep in you, when you sense that kind of injustice and that kind of abuse, you want justice. Something deep in you desires a power to make right what you can't make right because you don't have that kind of power. So, especially you want justice if the person that was mistreated is you. You want an angry God. So our culture, our culture is a love is love culture. The world we swim in is, it's all love. It's all, love is love, and everything's good, and everybody's cool. You can do anything you want to, and only God can judge me, but we don't even think God's going to judge us. So we're like, a, love is love, and everything's good, and you can do what you want to as long as you don't harm anybody else until, until somebody does something we don't like, and then we cancel them. How can we be a love is love culture and a cancer culture at the same time? Because if you are a love is love, then there's no judgment for anything you do. But if you're a cancel culture, then that means you've judged people and you 
cancel them and cut them out. You cannot have it both ways. They are directly opposed to each other. Either everything is okay or it isn't. So, with that being said, there's a pastor here in North Ridgeville, pastor's uh, Cornerstone Fellowship over on uh, Center Ridge, and I heard a quote from him this week, and he said this, everyone is a great judge for others and a great lawyer for themselves. I thought, man, that's good. That's so good. Local pastor says that. I'm going to quote him to my church. Uh, yeah, give props where props are due, right? Everyone is a great judge for others, but a great lawyer for themselves. The number one complaint in the Bible, by the way, towards God isn't that God is a God who judges, but that God's not judging fast enough. So you're going to read passages like this one in Jeremiah 12, 1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you, but I'm going to talk to you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked always prosper? By the way, this is the normal prayer. David prays it in Psalm 6, Psalm 13, Psalm 73. How long, God? How long are you going to put up with these knotheads and these destructive people? Judge them now. First uh, Timothy, First Peter, the whole book of Revelation. That's what it's really all about. God is a righteous judge who's going to judge. So, the desire for justice for each of us reveals that we want an angry God who will punish those who do evil and harm us. Just don't punish me. So that being said, today I want to look at two biblical examples of how God judges. We're going to look at two different types of God's wrath today. So today's message is about the wrath of God. And you got to say it like wrath of God. Or the Greek word, orge, the orge. You've got to have a little anger in your voice when you say these words, the wrath of God. So would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? If you want to open up your Bible to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 here in just a little bit, and later on in Acts chapter 12. But um, let's start with this verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. Everybody say this, the wrath. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. What has come upon them? The wrath. We want the wrath of God to come upon those who sin and damage and destroy. What if we're the ones sin, damaging, and destroying? Well, let's just talk about it today. Before we do it, say, let's say a prayer first. Lord, I pray you'd open our hearts. Pray that we would hear about your wrath. And we would learn, and we would repent in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, turn to somebody next to you and say, I hope God's not mad at you. <laughs> hey, if you're watching online, I hope God's not mad at you. All right. So I'm going to talk about two different types of God's anger today. We're going to talk first about Herod the Great and God's passive anger. Herod the Great and God's passive anger. That's where we're going to start today. But before we talk about Herod the Great too much and God's anger, before we get to God's wrath, let's talk about who Herod the Great is. So first of all, his dad is named Antipater. 
Antipater uh, was king and ruler over Judea in 63 BC. Now, let's think about the name of Herod the Great's father. Pater is the Greek word for father. Pater. And anti is what? Against or not a good. Opposed to. We have a guy that would say his very name is, I'm not a good dad. And, and here we have this young man who grows up under, I'm not a good dad. <laughs> and he obviously displays a father wound. Because he lives his entire life trying to get affirmation lives his entire life trying to get recognized, trying to have a hole in his heart filled. And guys, can I talk to you for a second? I want to talk just to men for just a second because we're in a world that's trying to emasculate you and tell you it's not our right to be a dad. It's not our right to be a man. And I want to tell you that if you don't have fatherhood, if you're not a man to your children, if you don't act like a man, there will be your kids and a generation that will pay because you know the determining factor, number one determining factor, common denominator of those who are in prison? Lack of a father. Guys, you have more to do and say than you're doing. And I believe that the power of a father is the power to say, I love you, the power to say, I'm proud of you, and the power to say, if you keep that up, you're going to wish you hadn't. Guys, we have power in our words of affirmation to give life and hope to the next generation, but we also have power in our words of discipline to keep them from being as stupid as we were. So guys, I'll give them back to you. Be men. Don't be an antipater. So he raised a kid with a chip on his shoulder named Herod the Great. Now Herod the Great in 40 BC was given uh, kingship over Judea and the Palestine area. He was given kingship by a guy named Mark Antony. Anybody remember Mark Antony and Cleopatra? Well, here Mark Antony was uh, actually... Uh, at that time, he was uh, in charge of the whole portion of that area of the world, and he gave Herod the kingship. And Herod becomes king in 40 BC, and he reigned until his death in 4 BC. He is known for, Herod is known for something, he's known for his big building projects. The reason he's called Herod the Great is not just because he rebuilt Caesarea and Samaria and because he made massive cities out of them or aqueducts or the palaces he built, but what he's really known for is he's the one that built the western retaining wall because you see, the temple mount, the second temple, was smaller until Herod the Great comes along and he built all those stones and he built up that area to make the temple mount in Jerusalem bigger and he rebuilt the second temple which was a great and beautiful temple. Now, in doing so, he, uh, he was a big builder. That's why he's known as Herod the Great, because he did great building projects. But he was also a, a brilliant politician. Well, at least a manipulative politician. <laughs> I think the two go hand in hand. Herod the Great, so there was a fight going on for the rulership of Rome. History lesson. You guys all right with a little bit of history here? Because you won't, won't really understand the scripture unless I explain who this dude is. 
So there was this war going on in Rome between Mark Antony and Octavius. Mark Antony was over Egypt in that area, and Octavius was over the upper portion of the Mediterranean. So they're like this. And uh, since Herod was here, he sided with Mark Antony. So there's this war and this struggle going on and this fight going on in the Roman kingdom for who's going to be in control. And eventually Octavius overpowered Mark Antony and Mark Antony proved it when the moment he committed suicide. So Mark Antony ceased to be in power, which means the kingship of Herod stopped. So what, what Herod did is he went to, Octavius is here, Herod went to Octavius and said, listen to his spiel to him. He said, hey, listen, I'm a loyal guy. I was loyal to Mark Antony, and yes, Mark Antony lost, and I was loyal to him all the way. And I just want you to know, this is the kind of guy you want working for you because I'm so loyal, I would follow that guy to his death. But now that he's gone, I'll be that loyal to you. Pretty good, pretty good argument, right? I was loyal to Mark Antony, now I'll be incredibly loyal to you, just like I was to Mark Antony. And guess what? Octavius agreed with it. Oh, there's something you need to know. While Herod went to Rome to talk to, to Octavius, while he went to talk to him, the Jews sent a delegation there and said, huh, we don't want Herod to be our king again. He's out of power. Let's just remove him. And can we replace him with somebody new? But Octavius made Herod king. Herod comes back to Palestine. You know what? I wonder if there's anything like this in your Bible that you didn't even think about when you were reading it. So I just gave you a history lesson. But let's look at Luke chapter 19. This is a part of a parable, Luke 19, 14. But his subject hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. But he was made king anyway, however, and he returned home. You didn't realize that a part of the parable of the talents is a political statement that Jesus made to his culture. And by the way, I'll quit making political statements when Jesus stops. <laughs> don't worry about tax-exempt status. I don't care about that. You know what I care about? Righteousness. All right. Herod was also brutal toward his own family. Herod was originally married to a woman named Doris. Doris had a son. When he became king, you know, uh, Octavius appointed him as king, he divorced Doris and sent her and her son away, only later to have his son killed. Then he married Mariam. Now, all the things I read about him in all the different spaces said that Mariam was his loved wife. He actually loved her. He really, really loved her. They had three kids together. She was like his, uh, his woman. And then in AD 29, Herod murdered Mariam and two of her sons and her brother and her grandfather and her mother. Nice guy, huh? Yeah. Uh, eventually, Herod had 10 wives. 10 wives. Because a father wound will look for love to fill a father wound, but it can never be filled by human love. Because you need a real heavenly father to give you the kind of love that you need to restore the wound that may have been passed on you by others. And Herod, of course, wouldn't do that, so he married 10 women. By the way, 
Every time he changed his will, he would have to kill the wife and then kill their son. So he changed his will multiple times and killed all of his sons for like three from ten wives. So in view of such executions, the emperor Augustus reportedly quipped this, and we got the quote. It said, it's better to be Herod's hus than his huas. It's better to be his hus than his huas. There's a joke here, and the joke is also a play on words, so you know they sound like hus and huas. But pig, Herod was an ger- observant Jew, which means that he would never eat a pig, and pigs were uh, unclean for him. So the Caesar commented and said, it's better to be his pig than his son because he's going to kill his son, but he won't touch his pig. How do you like that for a reputation now? All right. Herod was brutal towards those he ruled as well. Herod managed to alienate the upper class of Judea by regularly confiscating property and wealth from anyone he didn't believe supported him. He also murdered so many priests that they were afraid to even be near him. And, and there is a, uh, a legend, it's written in a couple of volumes, but it, it may be a legend, that Herod gathered a bunch of people who were rich leaders in Jerusalem, and he ordered that on the day he died, they all be killed, so at least there would be mourning in Jerusalem on the day he died. All right, nice guy, huh? Yeah, God didn't come down and strike him dead. Oh, he, uh, Herod did try to kill himself. He did. Just right after the babies he murdered. We'll talk about that. But uh, Herod did try to kill himself and he wasn't successful. So God never destroyed him. And that leads us to the only story about Herod in our Bible. By the way, Herod the Great, who spent his entire life being significant, is only known because he is a footnote in the story of the greatest person who ever lived. Hebrews, or sorry, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, while during the time of King Herod, there he is, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star, it arose, and we have come to worship him. Then Herod, uh, King Herod heard he was disturbed. Literally, he was all shaken up. Remember, he's an old man by now. He's killed his sons, he's killed his wife. He's killed rich people. He's stolen, taken their property. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Imagine that. What a surprise. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. The voice is heard in Ramah. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So the slaying of the children shortly before his death is no surprise to anyone who knew Herod and his character. Because if Herod would kill his wives, kill his sons, kill his family, kill leaders, he would definitely kill babies. And anybody that would kill babies would do the other as well. Not necessarily as a murderer, but because all of those things state the same thing. I'm more important than them. And I will tell you that's my problem with abortion. Is in our culture, in our world, we say my comfort, my pleasure, my wealth, my ease, my convenience is more important than life. 
that's both before the womb and after the womb, and that's when they're foster kids, which is why we give money to foster kids and send them notes to tell them we love them. That's why we do it all the way through. Everybody understand what I'm saying? And I think we should care about them all. And I think what happens is a guy like Herod, he didn't care. So 12, 15, you know, there were only about 3,000 people in the area, greater area of Bethlehem at that time. It was a small town, maybe, maybe 5,000. There were probably a dozen or so kids. And a dozen kids were nothing compared to a dozen own sons that he had already killed. Now, Herod is a perfect example I made this in my notes. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to tell you. There's a spirit of murder in our culture where we prefer our personal lives above somebody else's life. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, God would rebuke the spirit of murder from off of our culture because there is a price to be paid for it. Herod refused to repent and to serve God. Do you know Herod... Actually, Herod was an observant Jew. Do you know that? There's some debates on whether or not he was actually Jewish or not, but he was observant. Don't worry, they're going to get baptized. We're going to have some fun later. I like it when people in the front go to get baptized. You guys are a little younger than those back there. You guys are my favorites, by the way. Just in case you're wondering, y'all are my favorites. You don't even have to question. All right. So Herod refused to repent and to serve God. Though he worshipped, listen, he not only worshipped God as a Jew, but he also, you ready for this? He also built the temple. He was responsible for building the temple. He's a guy that did all the right religious stuff, but his heart was far from God. So he broke the law of God that he said he was trying to serve. He was a thief. He was a murderer. He was committed adultery. He was a liar and a deceiver. But the greatest breaking of the law that I believe Herod did was this. He worshipped power rather than God because he thought power could fulfill the void in his soul. He was so concerned for his own position that he abused everyone around him. Herod wanted to be respected. That's why he was always fighting for his rulership. He wanted to be respected. But in the end, nobody loved him, nobody liked him, and nobody respected him. How, how much more of God, God's wrath can a person have on their life than the very thing they struggle so bad to get? They can't get. Because he may have gained the world, but he lost his soul. And this is God's passive wrath. Now, God's passive wrath is, I'm not going to kill you for what you did wrong. God's path, passive wrath is, you want to behave like that? Go ahead. You want to do that? Go ahead. Romans 1.18. The wrath, the organ, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their TikTok. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> who suppress the truth by the things they defend in their own mind. And, and that's going on all over the place, isn't it? There is, and the wrath of God is being revealed. So how does this wrath look? What does it look like? Is it God going to strike them dead? 
No, look in Romans 1.24. This is just like six verses later. Therefore, God gave them over. Said, go ahead, guys. Do what you want to do. Here you go. Your sinful desires, go ahead. Just do it. It's, go ahead. Romans 1.26, because of this. This is another verse. God gave them over to their shameful lust. You want to lust? You want to live that kind of life? Go ahead. Go ahead. And this is the wrath of God saying to them, you want it? Go ahead. One more time. 128. 128, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. You want to sin? You want to look at porn? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, you're going to have problems sexually with your wife? Go ahead. Oh, you're going to break all your relationships with your kids because you can't love their mom? Go ahead. You want to stay at work all the time? Money, buying a new car to impress people you don't even like. Go ahead. Y'all follow me? Oh, you want drugs and alcohol? You want to hide from the problems and the pain in your life and not deal with it and not come to me? All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But you want to take a bottle and expect rest? Go ahead. You, you want to get angry and control people by your manipulative outrages? Go ahead. Do you want to destroy your life by the way you eat and then complain that your health hurts so bad and your feet don't move because of the diabetes? Go ahead. It's the wrath of God. The wrath of God is saying you can have what you want. That's God's wrath upon you. God's wrath is if you want it so bad that you're willing to destroy yourself to get it, just go ahead. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap whatever you sow. You want to use drugs? Go ahead. You want to cheat? Go ahead. God's wrath is to let you have what you want. Because a man who sows please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will receive eternal life. Do you want to follow God, or do you want to follow what you want? You want God's wrath? Just do it your way. I'm reading a book. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer, and honestly, this message came out of that book. The name of the book is God Has a Name, and these are quotes from two different pages. He says, God's passive wrath is when he doesn't act to keep us from evil. Usually it's when he lets us royally screw up our own lives. And then it says this, it turns out that sin is its own punishment. And obedience, its own reward. God's passive wrath is when he removes his hands of grace from you and says you can have what you want. I read it this way in a book years and years ago. Does God send people to hell? No, God doesn't send people to hell. hell. Your entire life you've been sinning saying, God, go away, leave me alone, I'll do what I want. And hell is finally God saying, you can have what you want. <laughs> also, 
Does God destroy your life? No. That's when you say to God, I know better than you. And God says, okay. Burger King for you. Have it your way. (laughs) You know, um, to tell you how far we've come as a culture, uh, I'm going to read you a quote from a guy that you might have heard of, Abraham Lincoln. This was his second inaugural address, and he was... um, he was delivering the second inaugural address in the middle of a country at war. World war or the Civil War was, was in its height and its heat. And he is counting, literally, in his second inaugural address, he is counting the cost of what the Civil War is costing the country. And um, uh, the fact that an eighth of the population are colored slaves, and the fact that an eighth of the population has colored slaves... Are, have been mistreated for 250 years and the high cost of the Civil War, he attributes to the fact that God is exacting revenge upon a country. And I'm going to read you his words and then I'm going to explain what he says because if you're like me, I had to read his word like three times before I understood it because we have really come down as a culture where we can't even understand things. Now, uh, we got to have them sound bites, but Abraham Lincoln was a bright guy. This is what he said. If God wills that it continue, the Civil War, he said, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman, 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash of the slave master's whip shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so it still must be said the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What he was saying is, is all the wealth of this country made by an eighth of their population being enslaved is being stolen from our country and destroyed, and all the wealth is going away because God says, you want to own people? You want to mistreat them and make your wealth at them? I'm going to take your wealth away. And he said, all the blood that's spilled, it's all the last that was put upon their back, and we're now drawing all that blood back for the people that were harmed. And he's saying, what's going on is the wrath of God is being poured out on our culture, on our world, upon our country, because God's wrath was, you want to do that? Go ahead. Now, let me tell you a little more comical, but a little just as true. I've been dad, and in my house, when you make cookies... A tithe goes to dad. (laughs) My tithe, though, is raw because I love raw cookie dough. Raw cookie dough is the bomb, and if you don't like that, may God have mercy on your soul. (laughs) So when I walk in the kitchen and cookies are being made, fresh cookies being whipped up, a tithe of it goes to me in cookie dough to begin. So I walked in the kitchen one day and I asked my wife, what are you making? She said, I'm making cookies. And I'm like, oh yeah, dad is here to exact his tithe. And she said, you don't want that. And I said, yeah, I do. It's cookies. And she said, no, you don't. You don't want this cookie dough. And I said, yes, I do. Cookie dough comes to me raw. And she says, you don't want it. I said, yes, I do. And she said, okay. And she dipped a spoonful and said, here, try it. And she gave me cookie dough that for some stupid reason, the icing was where all the sugar was, and that dough had no sugar in it. I spit that stuff out because she said, oh yeah, I guess you don't want what you got now, do you? Because my God and my wife are very similar sometimes. (laughs) You want it? Go ahead. All right, let's talk about the second one. I got to do this fast. Herod Agrippa I. Now, Herod Agrippa I 
is God's act of anger. Now, this is Herod the Great's grandson. Uh, one of his kids that did survive bore him a son who bore him a, uh, a grandson. So anyway, there are several instances of God's active wrath in the Bible. Let's just talk about what it looks like. First of all, Noah, you know, the flood when God killed everybody on earth, that's God's active wrath. How about Korah's rebellion where they rebelled against Moses and the ground opened up and Korah and all his followers were taken into the ground and they closed back up and God ate them for, they had a Korah sandwich. The earth had a Korah sandwich for lunch. And then there's Ananias and Sapphira. This is all the money. No, it's not. Dead at the altar. Oh, she comes in. This is all the money. No, it's not. Dead, you know, because God spoke and, and the power came and God's act of judgment struck them dead right where they were. Herod Agrippa I ruled from 37 to 44 AD. And we really wouldn't know who he is except for passage in the Bible. So I just want to read you this passage in the Bible. And now remember, he had just put Peter in prison for preaching the gospel and doing a miracle. So this is a guy that isn't acting very moral because he threw a guy in prison for doing good to somebody that needed something good and preaching the gospel. Acts 12, 18. Peter had just been in prison. Peter gets let out by an angel. And in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers said what had become of Peter after Herod had a, had a thorough search made for Peter and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered they be ex executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So he moves from Judea to Caesarea. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. And after securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing a royal robe, sat on his throne, and he delivered a public address to the people. So he spoke really, really good. And they shouted, this is the voice of God, not a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. Oh, by the way, a little history for you there. He didn't actually die that day. The worms probably started that day, and within six months, he was so eaten up that he died. So for the next six months, he is eaten by worms on the inside and died. That does not sound like a nice way to go. But notice verse 24. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. So Herod put himself in the way of God, and God said, no, I'm done with you. You're dead. Oh, by the way, I'm going to make it extra painful just because you were a jerk. So in this story, God's wrath is immediate and final. And there are times of God's judgment now where God is immediate and final. But they're rare. Most of the time, he's passive in his anger. Sometimes he's active. But let me just be very clear. There is a day coming when God's wrath will be final. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath, his orge, his rah, comes upon those who are disobedient. Colossians 3, 5, and 6, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Revelation 19, 15, he treads the winepress of the fury of his wrath of God Almighty. So God is going to have a day where his wrath is released. So the modern narrative is this. God is love. He's not mad at you. As a matter of fact, I was reading an article. Somebody sent me an article. They heard I was preparing this message. And they sent me an article from a guy named Joseph Prince. Y'all know Joseph Prince, right? You've seen him on TV. Anyway, 
Joseph Prince, and he, he I, don't, I, I don't know, I haven't listened to him enough, but I'm going to tell you in this one, he missed it, all right? He says, Isaiah 54, he takes one verse out of context that God's no longer mad at you. And there's this Hebrews passage that talks about the wrath of God's been abated by the blood of Jesus. I agree with all of those things. But he makes a statement. He says, and I'm going to read this word for word, but know this, beloved, God will never be angry with you ever again. And I'm like, that just, I know, I know that our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. I know that. And I know that God's not that kind of mad at us. But you think just because God is willing to forgive you of your sins that he's not mad at you when you're stupid? Any dads in the room? Come on. My kid's in the back of the car, and they're back there. Now, there are a lot of things I can put up with. I will not put up with you disrespecting your mother. You don't do that. You do not disrespect my wife. I love her, and I do not allow her to be disrespected. The other thing I cannot stand is whining. I cannot stand whining. If you're whining, take a nap. If you're whining, eat the food I give you rather than what you're whining about. If you're whining, wear the clothes you have, not what you want. But my kids be in the back seat, be whining. And I'd be like... I, I'm not saying that's the way to parent, okay? I'm not saying that's the way to parent. I'm just saying it's what happened, all right? But they be whining. Whining gets me. I'm not going to throw them out on the side of the road and say, you're not my kid anymore, am I? No, I love those kids. As a matter of fact, I'll make sure they get what they need so they can stop whining. Are y'all following me? But I can still get mad at them. My wife. May God have mercy on her soul for being married to me. She has been known to get mad. I know you all look at Pastor Robin up here earlier and you're like, she's the nicest person in the world. Don't make her mad. And I have been known to do that. Now that doesn't make me, I I don't question her love. I don't question her loyalty. But I do question my sanity for making her that mad. So those of you that believe God's never mad at you, let me just say, God's not mad at you? Maybe he is. Maybe he's sick of your whining. He's given you what you need and you're whining about what you don't have? Maybe he's sick of watching you destroy your life with your lust and your pleasure and your desires. Maybe he's sick of it. And maybe what he's saying to you is, stop it already before I pull this car over now. Maybe his wrath is that he's letting you reap the reward of your own stupidity. God's not mad at you? Maybe he is. So I want to ask you a question. How do we respond? Very simple thing. You repent. Do you know what repent is? If you get on the turnpike out here 
and you think you're going to Toledo, but you go east. You think you're going to Toledo, but you're going east. What do you have to do if you're ever going to make it to Toledo? What? Stop where you're going and turn around. What is repentance? I, sorry, I'll try to stop. I'm going to turn around and go the other way. Because God's going to let you get your own way. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And this question, this first question I'm asking, is you have never before repented of your sins. Never done it before. And you say, today is the day I'm going to repent of my sin. God, I recognize you're mad at me. You're letting me get my own way. And today I want to turn around. I want to repent. I want to turn to you. I want to confess you as Lord. I want Jesus. I want you to be my Lord. I repent. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand right now. I want to pray with you around this room. If that's you. Yes. Yes. There are others? Yes. It's your day. It's your day. Repentance. Forgiveness. Right now. Jesus. See these hands. See these hearts. And restore and bring life, I pray, in the name of Jesus right now. In the name of Jesus. If you're like me, the rest of us, let's talk to the rest of us. Maybe you've repented a thousand times before, but you recognize today God's mad and I'm getting my way and I want to repent and I want to do it his way. If that's you and you want to repent right now and you want to turn back to him and say, take away this wrath from me because God, I repent of my sin. If that's you, lift your hand really high with me. I want to pray with you. So Jesus, right now in this room, you saw both sets of hands and we pray that right now forgiveness would come from on high, that you would remove your wrath and that you would help us to do it your way. For the righteous requirements of the law are not met in those who walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I pray that every person that raised their hand today, from now on, they start listening to the voice of the Spirit and start walking in the Holy Spirit so that they would no longer reap the wrath of you saying you can have it your way. In the name of Jesus, help us to want to do it your way, we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's how we're going to do this. Um, because of this message, we've got 12 people that are planning to be baptized today. But because of this message, if you're in this room and you're like, doggone it, I, I need to do it now. I need, today is the day. I need to go all in with Jesus. I haven't been baptized yet. We don't do this every time, but right now, if you want to follow Jesus, you want to be baptized in water, we're going to make this open to you. we got a guy sitting right over there. Wave at everybody, Pastor Jesse. All right, if you want to be baptized today, I don't care whether you came prepared or not, but God's dealing with your heart, and it's your day to make a confession of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you want to capitalize on this moment, knowing today is your day. I want you to get up. I want you to come see him. We have a change of clothes for you. we got some shorts for you and a shirt for you. Come on, let's give him a hand as they do it. Come on. We'll take care of you. Yes, it's your day. Let's do this. Come on. <laughs> Pastor Jesse, you got a couple more here. Woo. All right, guys. We're going to do baptism in just a minute. But until then... I want us to celebrate the freedom we have been given from even our own sin. 
right now. And I'd like you to stand with me, and I want us to sing this song like we mean it as a celebration.